Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world, broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world, spreading the news and information. BlakeRadio.com, music for your mind, body, and soul. Talk radio at its best. You're listening to Rainbow Soul from BlakeRadio.com. Dr. Daniels, and welcome to Healing with Dr. Daniels. It appears that we have no intro or outro music today, but today's topic is the latest scapegoat. Yes, the latest scapegoat. The best thing you can do when you have a problem that you do not want to solve is to find a scapegoat. In other words, find an individual or a group of people who have nothing to do with the problem, did not create the problem, do not have the ability to solve the problem, and blame them. Even better yet, punish them. And punish them, of course, without mercy. And so we have this going on in medicine and it's playing out right before our very eyes. And it is quite the drama. Yes, sir, Bob. So what could this possibly be? Actually, this is something I have reported on before, and this is the epidemic, the opioid overdose epidemic, which is sweeping the United States and killing quite a few uh, quite a few citizens. So question, what do you do about this opioid epidemic? And so the uh, industry, the medical industrial complex, or the government, or whoever's in charge, has decided that pharmacists, pharmacists may be legally liable for these overdoses. So if someone takes a narcotic and they die, then the pharmacist who counted the pills out and put them in the bottle and screwed the top on and put a label on the bottle can be found responsible in some way. And so this is, uh, this is, this is pretty stunning when you think about this. So you have this individual, say a human being, who has taken some narcotics, let's call it uh, hydrocodone, and they've taken enough of them to where they are now, well, dead, a corpse. How did this happen? Well, it's pretty straightforward, right? You have a drug. This drug was approved by the FDA, Food and Drug Administration, as safe and effective. Okay. Then this drug manufactured by a drug company who presented the FDA with evidence showing the drug was safe and effective. All right, so now we've got two entities involved. We've got the uh, drug companies, got the FDA, Then you have a medical doctor. Uh, This person's a doctor, then we know they went to, well, medical school, right? So they went to medical school where they were told how to use this drug, and they were told in medical school that these narcotics are safe and effective. Now we have another party involved here, the medical school. Then the doctor went ahead and did a residency training where, again, he was trained in four years of medical school, a residency anywhere from one year to ten years, depending on what area they trained in. They were, again, trained that this narcotic was safe and effective. Okay. Then 
they practice medicine and they write a prescription. So now I've got a doctor involved, it was a prescription. Oh, excuse me, the patient came to the doctor and said, hey, I have a problem. We'll say the problem was pain. Did you know that there's no scientific test for pain? Yeah. Somebody can come to a doctor and say, hey, I've got pain. When actually, maybe they don't really have pain. So now we have the patient involved here in the process. So the patient has input, and maybe even the patient suggested, hey, doc, could you write a, a prescription for hydrocodone? No, 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 not, not, not dilaudid. I want the other one. Yes, I want hydrocodone. I've actually had people come to my office and tell me exactly which narcotic they need. Mm. Then you have the doctor who writes the prescription, and then the pharmacist fills it. But wait a minute. The drug uh, insurance company, the insurance company pays for it. Maybe it's Medicaid that pays for it. Maybe it's their private insurance that pays for it. Okay, and the patient goes home. This is the patient's second level of involvement. He takes the drug and then he dies. Drop dead. Mm. Okay, so we have a whole pretty long sequence here involving one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, at least eight individuals or entities involved in this uh, process. Now, if you stop and take a look at this sequence, you've got the drug company providing information to the FDA. The FDA approves the drug. Then the uh, drug company manufactures the drug. Then the drug company provides curriculum information to the medical school, which then teaches the doctor how to prescribe the drug. Then you have the residency program to which the pharmacy or drug, the drug company also provides information, and they teach this to the doctor. Then you have the patient who goes to the doctor and says, hey, I have pain, and a lot of times the, doctor, the patient will actually make a request for this particular drug. Then you have the doctor, having been trained in medical school and the residency program that these drugs are safe and effective, who writes this prescription. Then you have the insurance company who pays for it, and you have the pharmacist who fills the prescription. Yes. And then the patient takes the drug, not always as prescribed. Sometimes when the prescription says take two pills four times a day, the patient may just take eight pills three times a day. So maybe the patient did not take the drugs as prescribed. I have a question out there. Okay, so the question is, who in this whole sequence should bear responsibility? Well, whenever you have a sequence of events, um, there's a couple things to consider, like this branch pathways. Like if this one person didn't do it, was there some, somebody else that could have done it? You know, for example, if one pharmacy doesn't fill the prescription, are there possibly a thousand other pharmacies that could have filled the prescription? So what you really want to do is focus on critical pathways. That's a pathway that must happen in order for the undesired outcome, in this case a dead uh, human being, and 
points in the pathway where you have to influence the um, smallest number of people. So that's what the goal is. So the goal then, if we look at this pathway, we have one, which is a drug company. Well, guess what? If they're applying for FDA application for a drug, then they are the only drug company applying. In other words, they are requesting FDA authorization for what amounts to a monopoly. So that's what we would call a critical step. And one, again, if the critical step in the pathway must happen, there's only one entity that can do it. Then you have the FDA approving the drug. That's a critical pathway. Why? Well, it's necessary for the drug to be sold. And only the FDA can provide that approval. So that's the second critical pathway. Then you have the doctor. There's $867,000 doctors in the United States. Did you, did you know that? 867,000 doctors in the United States? That means if the doctor pathway is to be influenced, you have to influence 867,000 doctors. So we can't really call the doctor writing a prescription a desirable step to influence because there's too many doctors to influence. And if this um, prescription can't be written by one, then it can be written by another. So influencing a doctor pathway is actually not a reasonable pathway to uh, exhibit influence. Because even though it might be critical or even important, it's too dispersed. There's too many branches, too many avenues. So that actually would not be uh, a pathway uh, to influence. Now, the other thing is the prescription is what gets filled. So in other words, a patient could forge a prescription. These things have happened before. So believe it or not, the doctor is not a critical element to influence in terms of this pathway. So in other words, the, the locus of exercising control in order to stop the epidemic death of opium or narcotic overdoses, to influence the doctor's step in the pathway is not strategically a reasonable way to go. Yeah, that's important. Yeah. And so... The next step in the pathway, we got the doctor step. So doctor step makes no sense because there's 867,000 of them. So for any drug application, there's only one drug company. There's only one FDA, but 867,000 doctors, more or less, give or take 1,000 doctors. Well, what about these medical schools that are teaching that these drugs are safe and uh, effective? Well, let's see, how many medical schools are there in the United States? Well, there's 141 medical programs and 30 DO programs. Got to add them together because they're pretty much the same. So it's 171 medical school programs. Well, there you go. Maybe we could influence what's taught in medical schools. 
If you let doctors know these drugs are not safe and they are not effective. Well, then the next sequence is there are residency programs where doctors are trained. How many of those? Well, you know, they don't seem to have a good list of those. Medical graduate, aha, uh-huh. residency program directors. Oh, there is. I mean, there's got to be um, one director for each program, wouldn't you think? That's what I would think. You know, they actually don't give out that information. But I'll bet there's more residency programs than there are medical schools. I'm just going to make a... Because every residency program generally has 12 to 15 residents, and generally medical school graduating class is over 100 people. So there's going to be even more residency programs like thousands. What's the next step of influence? There's the patient. How many patients are there in the United States? Well, there's about 310 million patients or or citizens in the United States. Of those, how many can walk, talk, and go get a prescription? Probably 200 million. 200 million. So exerting influence at the level of the patient is not effective. Because, again, you have an influence point that has 200 million individuals. Again, the next person in the sequence is the doctor. We've gone over that. Too many doctors. How many pharmacists? Really, 67,000 pharmacies. And each pharmacy employs anywhere from one to three pharmacists. Usually not very many. But let's just go with 67,000 as the number of pharmacies that have to be influenced. Then you have insurance companies. I have to know this answer. There's only three insurance companies that control about 85 or 90 percent of the insurance market. So really, it's only three insurance companies uh, to influence. And so these are the points of control for this epidemic. And let's see what the uh, medical industrial complex slash government has to say. So as the United States opioid epidemic, that means uh, narcotic epidemic, continues to soar, physicians have been held criminally responsible for patients' overdose and death. Now it appears pharmacists may be next to be held legally liable. And so you can see here the doctors being held liable, that's an an influence point of 867,000. And so now they go to the next ineffective point, which is the pharmacist. Okay, so that's the opinion of pharmacy law experts who have watched the crisis unfold during the past decade. And I don't think it's too large a leap to expect a pharmacist to face criminal liability in the event that one or several of the patients overdose on medications that were filled by that pharmacy, but demonstrating that liability is still not clear-cut. 
says not illegal to dispense a controlled substance to someone who is an addict, who has a legitimate pain. Well, we've got a couple of problems with definitions. So if you have an addict, well, it should never be okay for an addict to get narcotics. That's dumb. And legitimate pain, what's legitimate pain? I read in one, uh, you know, looking online, one doctor, a prominent doctor, felt a sprained ankle with legitimate pain get a narcotic. Well, if you don't get a lot of narcotic over a sprained ankle, just get a narcotic over any old thing. So there's, there's not much agreement, agreement about what uh, is legitimate pain. So the DEA established in 1971 the Doctrine of Corresponding Responsibility, according to which a prescription for a controlled substance must be issued for a legitimate medical purpose by a practitioner acting in the usual course of their professional practice. Okay, we've got that. The responsibility for the proper prescribing and dispensing falls upon a prescribing practitioner and corresponding, correspondability, corresponding responsibility rests with the pharmacist who fills the prescription. And so the pharmacist then has uh, a shared responsibility. But wait, if we take a look here. Uh, there, there's a, an issue. So the board filed a significant warning shot in 2013, that's four years ago. After a long investigation and uncovered multiple failures, it revoked the license of a pharmacist. So, others feel the board's gone too far. One pharmacist says that he chose to give up his license and sell his business rather than fight the board any further after an investigation that lasted a year. The inquiry started in 2011 when the family of a young man died of an opioid overdose. I guess sold by that pharmacist. The prescribing physician, who became an addict, took his own life before a medical board investigation had been completed. Now this, by the way, is actually pretty frequent. So I'm from New York State, and before I was investigated by the board, um, there was another doctor who was investigated. And when the board started investigating, it took three months, and this guy got a gun and killed himself. And so what the public is not aware of is just the investigation for many people is so traumatic that um, it drives doctors to uh, kill themselves. And they expect that because they carefully picked who they select to be physicians, in this case pharmacists, and they have a, a training program for them that very similar to MKUltra. And literally, they implant in this person's brain basically kind of a self-destruct mechanism that if they are investigated, that it's all over. They might have just killed themselves. So uh, this is going to be relevant later on. Uh, so the report cited numerous failures to address red flags, such as filling a prescription too early, that means the prescription might, maybe it's filled monthly, but you fill it at the three-week point, point, and making unauthorized refills. means make, giving a refill without checking with the doctor to get a telephone order. The pharmacy provided lengthy explanations to the board to justify its practices and hired an attorney to represent it and its pharmacists during the conference of the board and the administrative law judge. This is important. Administrative law judges are not held to the same rules of evidence as a regular court. I found this out myself that if you, if you want to submit evidence, you can if you want to, but they have the ability to ignore what they want to and to admit hearsay and other things in evidence. Now, this does nothing, by the way, to defend the public, I don't believe. 
But anyway, the pharmacy also paid a forensic expert who provided the coroner's records that showed although the young man died with oxycodone in his system, he also had MDMA, which is ecstasy, and metabolites of marijuana. This guy was doing many drugs. So the pharmacist lost the case and chose not to spend more money on an appeal. The store paid $35,000 fine. Pharmacist paid $7,500 fine. Uh, but that was it. So another recent case, uh, two Santa Barbara pharmacists agreed to surrender their licenses and pay $15,000 to cover the cost of the board investigation um, because they filled a controlled substance prescription from a local physician who had come to be known as the Candyman. The doctor was convicted in 2015 of 79 felony counts and received 27 years in federal prison. And this is another thing they'll do. They'll convict someone of a crime, like this doctor who wrote a whole bunch of narcotic prescriptions, and then go and prosecute every pharmacy who filled his prescriptions. Uh, do you know why people overdose on narcotics? Because the narcotics don't work at the lower dose, and so they take higher and higher doses trying to get an effect. So these drugs are not effective, and that's why the dose it, people take of them is deadly. Of course, they're not safe because people die in them. So these drugs are neither safe nor effective, and you know from the epidemic that that's the case. So a number of investigations have gone up over time. She attributed in part to the board's broadening responsibilities. The board regulates 33 types of licenses covering 45,000 pharmacists, more than 72,000 pharmacy technicians, more than 6,000 intern pharmacists, and more than 3,000 representatives. This is in the state of California, which is a pretty big place. And so what you've got going on here is all this activity, more work for lawyers, more work for administrators, you're hiring more people to investigate doctors, but this is not going to stop the death. It can't. Why? Because they're not working at a critical pathway point. The two critical pathway points are what? The drug company filing the application with the FDA. Can you imagine what happens if the FDA refused to hear any applications for narcotics? Yeah? Mm-hmm. Or the FDA approved the drug is safe and effective. The drug is not safe. The drug is not effective. Why are not the members of the FDA being prosecuted? There aren't that many of them. There's only about 867,000 of them. And so maybe they don't want to prosecute the FDA. Who approved these drugs as safe and effective? But maybe just a moratorium. No further approval of applications for narcotics. And maybe recall the ones that have already been prescribed. Keep track. Oh, which narcotic killed how many people? Oh, recall that narcotic. How about that? You know what my solution was in my medical practice? I decide not to prescribe narcotics. Absolutely. I refuse to prescribe narcotics. I told my patients and anyone else who cared to hear, they could just go someplace else. And what happened when my, pain, when my patients had pain? Really bad pain? Significant pain? Remember, this is not medical advice, just what I did, and it did work, but it's not medical advice. I would have them apply turpentine to the sprained ankle, to the knee, or to the hip, or to the lower back, or castor oil. And guess what? It took the pain away real nice. Or I'd have them drink more water, distilled, of course, or do an enema. Fancy that. No need for narcotics. Even myself, 
I have not taken any painkillers, whatever, for pain. And you know, stuff happens. You know, I fell off my bike. Uh, you know. When I was in the States, here in Panama, you know, they don't label things too well. And I was walking all the night and took a step forward and boom, and fell into a culvert. Picked myself up, dusted myself off, limped over uh, to the car and got home and took care of it without any prescription or over-the-counter pain medicine. So this idea that narcotics are even necessary is uh, it's just not true. Utter nonsense. We have everything based on a false premise that there's actually a medical necessity for these things. So West Virginia is trying to provide support for pharmacists. Oh, here they are. So the same year, the um, Supreme Court, the state Supreme Court ruled that substance abusers could sue prescribers and pharmacists who supplied medication, even if the patient acknowledges that they were engaging in illegal activities, such as lying to the doctors and pharmacists, or better yet, selling the drugs in the street, engaging in doctor shopping, and ingesting the medications in amounts greater than prescribed. So if the patient is taking more of the medication than is prescribed, is doctor shopping, is lying, then he still has the right to sue the, to sue the pharmacist. And so this is in West Virginia. So they passed a bill giving a little bit of relief. But obviously there is no sincerity about addressing this epidemic. So you should address the epidemic yourself. And you can start by going to vitalitycapsules.com, downloading your free report, the Vitality the, uh, Candy Dependent Report, and understanding um, non-toxic, safe ways to address your pain. This is Dr. Jennifer Daniel signing off. And as always, think happens.